Let me see your wedding ring. I now pronounce this man and wife. Well, you could have done a lot worse. I suppose I could have too. For an American agent, you're not entirely repulsive either. How much money did they give you? 15,000. So it's gonna be that kind of marriage. Greg doesn't trust Barbara. What about the gun? We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before you sleep, Paul. Miles to go before you sleep. Compliance. Are you brainwashed? Compliance. No? All right. I'm Kevin. Com- com- <laughs> What's up, everybody? Compliance. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to my backyard. I'm going to dig a hole that happens to have a large amount of unexplained explosives. And then I'm going to go complete my mission. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wanted to find, uh, I have like a radio mic. It, it's like a, a trucker radio mic for your car that you can answer your phone with. Um, I was going to plug it into my mixer, so I sounded like I was over a, a telephone, but <laughs> I I figured the joke wouldn't even land that hard, so <laughs> whatever. I mean, I am now going to now go out in my backyard for the next 10 minutes. I'm going to scratch a rock revealing the number yeah, of steps. Right. Don't, don't spoil this goodness. <laughs> no, you've activated me. I'm going to go through with it now. It's going to be 10 minutes of mundaneness. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, this, this thing, uh, this film telephone, we, uh, picked it last week because we've talked about this film and we'll get into a little bit how this, like how this really does tie to strange highways. Um, I feel like we've, we've been kind of like, just sidestepping slowly away from what our show really is. And we've gotten here and it is, it has been a weird voyage to to say the least. We call them detours for a reason. (laughs) And, uh, this has been a long detour, but I I believe next week we're going to get back to uh, season three of twilight zone. But this movie we have been circling, uh, for a few months now, it keeps popping up in conversation. Um, I can't remember the first time we ran across it. it I think it was, was it when we were talking about John Mitchum in Rip Van Winkle Capel. Yes, yeah, yeah. Caper, he was uh, he was Irby. So R.I.P. Irby. That's right. Because I was re- trying to remember when we first mentioned this film, and it was it was the Rip Van Winkle Caper, and that was his his role in that that tripped us into talking about this, and then it just kind of stuck in our head since. Yeah, and then last week, obviously, we covered uh, the Monster Club, so hopefully hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out um, for what that was. But we had Donald <laughs> Pleasance in that, and uh, 
he was also in Telephone. So, mm-hmm. and I thought there was one other connection. There is. Oh the, yeah, yeah, Patrick McGee, who yeah. played the innkeeper of Monster Club, also pops up in this. Yeah. So it was one of those things. After two of the actors last week were in this, we we're like, maybe let's give it one more week and hit this Bronson movie that neither of us have seen. And especially since Bronson is going to be in season three, episode one next week, we figured that this would be a nice lead in. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, and we'll get into cast and crew in a second. I mean, I'm aware of Bronson. I've seen some of the things he's in. I know you're much more versed in Bronson than I am. It was just nice to get a little bit later career Bronson before we get into the Twilight Zone era Bronson, like because I know that's closer to the Magnificent Seven and some of that. So it's just he he's an interesting uh, just person. I, and his performances aren't always maybe amazing, but like I wanted to kind of get a little bit more ingrained with what what he was what he was given, you know, as an actor before we got to the the next season. Yeah, because he was never really a, a leading man for a long time in his career. Like he was a great character actor in westerns and everything, and a very kind of classic actor. Um, he had he had such a great look for that and everything, and he he's got a very vague look to him as far as like nationality. <laughs> so he was they were able to place him within a lot of roles, especially in Western as like Mexican and in this one, Russian, like he was able to be thrown around and he was even in a, a Euro crime film called violent city. Um, that is a fantastic movie from 1970 like he was able to just jump around seamlessly because he had such a great look Mm -hmm. but he was he was a very classic just character actor for a long time and in the 70s he transitioned into being more of a leading man for better or worse and uh things started getting a lot uh a lot more gritty as it went on and uh it it I would say it probably started with 1970 because you got Cold Sweat, you got Violent City and everything, and um, then you got that Western he does with Tashira Mufune, uh, Red Sun and everything. And once you go on that, you get into the mechanic and Death Wish and all that, and you get uh, this film, um, 10 to Midnight, which is ridiculous, <laughs> The Evil That Men Do, just th- these like really gritty crime films and everything. So this was like smack dab in the middle of really the Bronson explosion in crime and action films. Can we make a band called the Bronson explosion? Can we just do that? <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, and then we have an album called 10 to midnight. That'd be spectacular. But do you feel like Liam Neeson's kind of gotten to that Bronson stage of his career now? Do you feel um, like, I, th- I think he's, he's at like death wish for the crackdown <laughs> uh, segment of the Bronson career. <laughs> like, I think there is a sweet spot with like, uh, uh, the first taken and everything, and uh, what was the, what was the one among the tombstones and everything that people were really digging, and I I think with the release of the commuter and everything, we're definitely into like, um, like family of cops TV movie era. <laughs> <laughs> I, just because I feel like when you mentioned that, I mean, I mean Liam Neeson's still in some high-profile you know, projects, right? And he, yeah, definitely. And it, I, yeah. I think, I think Liam Neeson. I, I don't know why we're getting on a comparison. Because <laughs> I, I brought it up because I figured he was maybe the analog now because he was a established yeah. actor that maybe didn't have the biggest of roles, and then later in his career he kind of, you know, ended up being like this action star that was not planned, and he kind of leaned yeah. into it. You know, like yeah. 
I, I think uh, I think he's a little bit better actor than Bronson. Uh, it pains me to say it, but uh, he's definitely got a little bit more talent there. I, I want to see a version of The Gray with Charles Bronson where he makes the wolves punch themselves. That That's the movie I want to see. Um, <laughs> no, he would just lifelessly, like, uh, emotionlessly strangle them <laughs> as they came out of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I need to see that movie. But yeah, I just I mean like I, I obviously I wasn't alive in the 70s when this was uh he was really getting his leading roles. But like if you see posters for like stuff he did like Breakout. Um there's one that just says Bronson Breakout mm-hmm. in an explosion and then Robert Duvall's name is real tiny mm-hmm. underneath Bronson Breakout. <laughs> So like it's it's insane to me like looking back on it that like Robert Duvall is like shoved in the corner <laughs> and it's just this giant Bronson text going across it you know um, it's an amazing poster. Well, he's he's an easily relatable actor in terms of like you're like you said he he could play like a like a variety of roles he, and he and, makes you think that you could do it too <laughs> you could act. <laughs> well, like even in this, I think in um in this film he was fifty five years old. And, yeah. and this was around the time, and I know uh, it's a film I'd seen that you haven't seen. Breakheart Pass was around the same time. He was in his 50s making that movie, and there's actually more action in that film with him rolling around on top of a train car with another actor that he did all his own stunts. And it's just amazing to me. And like this one, like he, he ran out of an elevator. He didn't have to do much. But it's like he still kind of, even at 55, like – I, I would not say a wrong thing to Bronson because I feel like he could just like punch me and I'd be dead. Like no matter no matter how old he got, you're still terrified of him. Like and that yeah. that's that's uh not many people can pull that off. Yeah, and he's an easy target. Like I I and and Paul knows this. I absolutely love Charles Bronson. So my uh my little hits on his acting and everything, I I don't mean it <laughs> seriously. Well, and you're right. Because I love Charles Bronson. I'm I've been obsessed with Death Wish for a long time. Uh, obviously, that's the go-to for him. But even stuff like the mechanic and the evil that men do is uh, one of my favorites of his, and I, I've been a big fan. So well, and and I was surprised when you when you put on the the list for the other Western for me to watch last year when I watched the Magnificent Seven, which I should have seen that by now, but I had not. He is a bit role in that, but he is much more animated. In that one, then I then I would think of Bronson being, and he was still the hard ass, but you saw they had a soft spot for children in that film, and so he actually he was kind of a warm character once you got past like his initial like you know I'm Bronson, and he gave you know he gave a shit about these kids, and that was not a side I was expecting, and then you get to like Once Upon a Time in the West where he doesn't ever let you know what he's thinking the entire time, and he's amazing yeah. in that you know and like yeah and and. That's what he's good at. Yeah. Nah, I shouldn't say emotionless because the, he's always just brooding. And it was something that you're talking about, uh, like leaning into roles. He just leaned all the way into just being that stoic, uh, grizzled action hero for so long. Yeah. And uh, I love it. He's good at it, though. Yeah. So, so, so guys, just to snip out this conversation that we had. 
for next week when we get to that, that episode about Charles Bronson. Um, so yeah, yeah, let's, let's just get into this little proper. Um, I just think you'll appreciate cause I did, I, I wanted to do the same thing that we did for all of our shows and everything we've watched so far. So telephone came out, uh, December 16th, 1977, number one film that came out that weekend. This is, this actually relates to the, the day and date Saturday night fever came out the same weekend that this film did. So that may be part of the reason why this film is not remembered. Um, and that was that part movie part, part of, yeah, part of it. Um, cause I, cause you know, honestly, if Saturday fever had come out the week after, I don't think anybody was still talking about telephone, but still like it got buried by this film. It was phenomenon. Right. So that was the movie that kind of like, you know, it was the launching pad for, uh, John Travolta and the Bee Gees. Like, and it was, it was the disco explosion and it is like, you can see why this one, you know, maybe, it, it was kind of the end of an era for this kind of film and Saturday Fever just buried it, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody was on to other stuff. This, this feels like a holdover from like the sixties and early seventies, like yeah. espionage stuff. And it, you, you could, you could see people just like, yeah, we're, that's really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to go watch John Travolta dance. So the number one song this weekend was you light up my life by Debbie Boone. I, you know, great. But the, the song before that, that had held the number one spot for 10 weeks was the, the star Wars theme slash Cantina uh, band music by Mecco, which I think is the oh disco star Wars theme. I think that's the disco one. That was, so this was the, 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 the hangover from the summer of star Wars and the star Wars music was number one for 10 weeks, but the disco <laughs> oh version of star God. Wars, which if you've not heard that, it's amazing. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. <laughs> but yeah. I just love the idea of between Star Wars coming out and Saturday Night Fever that this depressing little <laughs> film came out. <laughs> right? Like everyone's because how long was Star Wars in theaters? I know you guys just talked about it on uh, Invasion of the Podcast. It, it but kept coming was it back. a full year yeah. or something? Yeah, they kept bringing it, it back. And yeah, like, so yeah. like people people had to have been still going to see star Wars by the time this even came out. Yeah. I mean, would you say this is Charles Bronson's star Wars? Would you say that this is no, no, <laughs> no. So this, I mean, this, this film, you're right, is definitely kind of out of time. Like it, it might even have been like a few years too late in terms of what it could have been, you know, and we'll talk about it. Cause honestly, I think there's a good skeleton in this film. I just think that, yeah, uh, there's, there's some you know, ideas yeah. I was really excited about when I watched it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about those. And I just want to mention this has nothing to do with anything. I was trying to find something else about other than Saturday Night Fever. You'll just appreciate this. December 20th. Uh, there was a Canadian rapper named Socrates that was born, uh, and he spells his name. It's probably Socrates, but it's, it looks like Socrates. It's S-A-U-K-R-A-T-E-S. Tell me that's not Socrates. I think that's a great name. A Canadian <laughs> rapper named Socrates and or Socrates was born four days after this film was released. And if I it's really not, hope it's Socrates. Yeah, I hope it's Socrates as well. And and if the rapper's not named Snow, I am not interested. So I thought, I thought you would appreciate that. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was he was born before uh, a little bit early for his time too. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't we didn't appreciate Socrates while we had him. That's why I'll just say that. No. Well, he's probably still around, right? <laughs> Socrates gotta be doing something. Um uh, 
All right, we'll, we'll jump yeah. into cast and crew here. That's enough about Silk Rates tonight. Enough about him. Um, so this film was directed by uh, the legendary director, Don Siegel, who is probably most well-known for, as far as I'm concerned, for Dirty Harry. Um, worked with Clint Eastwood a lot. He did Escape from Alcatraz, The Beguiled, uh, Two Meals for Sister Sarah. Um, I think something else I might be forgetting right now. But uh, and he also was the director of the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, a fun fun fact about him too. I don't know if you read anything about this. He was the first director uh, to use the name Alan Smithy on a film that he took his name off. Of oh wow! For uh, Death of a Gunfighter, because apparently the lead actor in that um, did not want to listen to him and believe that his opinion on how he should take his character was more important than the director's and ended up like ruining the film <laughs> from what Don Siegel said. Was that actor so, Charles Bronson? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so they brought in a, the second unit director kind of finished the film and everything. And Don Siegel said that it should have the other guy's name on it. Cause he did more work on it. Uh, than he did but yeah first person to use alan smithy ah. uh so i thought that was kind of interesting oh and i saw that he directed two episodes of the twilight zone we've not gotten to them yet so there's part of that that's kind of neat which yeah, i originally thought he was the connection and he was not the connection so yeah yeah <laughs> um and then i was very excited to see i think we talked about at the end of the last episode uh peter hyams worked on the screenplay on this he was supposed to direct it too by the way i don't know if you were oh was he yeah i'd be curious like i like don siegel but i think peter hyams would have been able to bring a fresher look to the picture yeah um but i mean we'll never know um but yeah peter hyams if you're not familiar with him great action movie director uh did time cop sudden death uh the relic which is i mean say what you will it's it's a it's a decent little sci-fi film. It has its moments. I'll say yeah. that like the, the production on that was rushed. So the CG looks bad now, but some of the story ideas and it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also did stay tuned, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and 2010, the 2001, uh, sequel. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I've talked about it. His son, John Hyams. Uh, I feel like I've talked about it on this podcast before um i highly recommend recommend checking his stuff out too um he directed universal soldier 4 day of reckoning which is one of my favorite action movies and um yeah the thing is amazing he also did the part three as well um but yeah he's he's got a quite the career going for himself too he was supposed to direct the remake of maniac cop produced by nicholas winding reffin but I think that project has since collapsed, which bummed me out because that was like the perfect director as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was reading a little bit about uh, the trivia of this. He, Peter Hyam was, was originally attached to direct this, but the studio felt that he wasn't a big enough name to attract like anybody. So they want to, and plus also they didn't know what he would be capable of doing. So they brought in a veteran, which I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I, I think something like this would have benefited from a new look because this is very by the numbers, like to a fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very dry. There's yeah. really not much flair to the visuals in this. Um, there's some interesting settings, 
that lend itself well to this, but it, it's there's really not too much going on. And I like Don Siegel for that reason. Uh, like I love the original Dirty Harry and uh, Escape from Alcatraz is a very dingy, dark film. That I'm a big fan of and Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the time was pretty revolutionary. Well, like um, the only stylized shot in the film that I saw was there's a bit at the very, very beginning where you saw the reflection of the building in the eyes of a character. And then there's a freeze frame and you saw on the bridge of the actor's nose, a seagull film. And I'm like, Oh, there, there's some style coming. And that was it. Like, and that was yeah, a bummer. just one that he puts his name in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, I was expecting like, Oh, this is going to get a little weird. Like the seventies weird. Nope. That's as far as we got. Yeah. Um, so then the other screenplay, uh, the other person who worked on the screenplay was Sterling Siliphant who uh, he wrote uh, some interesting things. He was kind of all <laughs> over the place. Uh, most importantly, over the top yes. with Stallone. <laughs> I knew you were uh, going to be excited about that. Uh, but he also worked on The Enforcer, which was part of the Dirty Harry uh, series. He did Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure. But then he also did stuff like Shaft in Africa and In the Heat of the Night. Hmm. So like the guy was kind of all over the place. But uh, um, some some good, interesting stuff, though. Yeah. But the, the only thing I wrote was co-wrote the screenplay for Over the Top. I, my mind just stopped right there. So I'm glad <laughs> that you found other things. So, yeah. And then a, kind of a connection. Uh, he wrote a few episodes for Alfred Hitchcock's Presents. Mm. So um, that kind of ties into Twilight Zone, I guess. <laughs> and I see and then, that, yeah. uh, sorry, go I'm ahead, sorry. Please. What was that? I was going to say this was based on a novel by Walter Wagner. Wager? Wager? Maybe I wrote that wrong. I did not look up the author. I hope you have some information about the novel. If you don't, then we'll just assume that it was not a good book. And maybe, maybe it's part of the reason why this movie is not rememberable. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I didn't do too much research. I kind of flipped through his stuff cause I wasn't familiar with the author. Um, but he, he looks like somebody, he did some novelizations for like the mission Impossible series, okay. like the TV series and everything. And then went on to do like a bunch of crime and espionage novels. So he was just somebody that lived in this kind of world that this movie is. Um, I, I've never read it. He's somebody I'm not familiar with, so I can't really speak to what that novel was. Do you think he hung out like Tom Clancy and he's like, yeah, I write stuff like you. And Tom's like, no, you don't. Like, do you think that's <laughs> No, he probably hated Tom Clancy for some reason. <laughs> I can totally see that. Like his stuff is his stuff is so unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say like some of the outcomes in this film may have not been realistic, but the idea and so, some of the things going on is is a little grounded in reality. I'll give it that. So Yeah, it's yeah, a little bit. A little compared bit. to Tom Clancy that's just painfully <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. Just it, it, like going down to every detail of how things happen. Um, <laughs> this definitely doesn't feel like it came from that kind of writing. <laughs> That's fair. So uh, did no, you look up no 900 page book for this movie? Did you look up uh, who did the music for the film? Cause I want to mention him for a second. Uh, yeah. Lalo Schrifferin. Yeah. Uh, who uh, I'm a big fan of. He did a ton of movie scores. Uh, also did some, some good jazz albums before that I recently just uh, unearthed doing some research on him. Yeah. Like, so all I, all I have for him and then you'll, you can fill this in better. He did uh, a horror. And then we've talked about the Manitou. 
recently. I don't know if it was on the show or when we we're talking about Abby on Invasion of the Podcast, but I know that was something that you had mentioned previously. That so, um, yeah, it seems like this guy he actually has a lot of credits, but there was yeah. a lot there that I did I just didn't. It nothing stood out to me. Yeah, well, it, the most uh, the biggest thing that he's famous for was he was uh, the creator of the Mission Impossible theme. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's that's the one thing. I think there's some arg. No, it's the James Bond one that there's arguments, but yeah, he was the one that did that. Um, he did my favorite score of his is the Enter the Dragon soundtrack, okay, um, which is really cool. But he did like Cool Hand Luke. Um, I'm trying to think of some. He's done so many. Um, Amityville Horror, which is a great soundtrack. I just bought that on vinyl recently. Um, Dirty Harry, he did, uh, I think at least Magnum Force and, um, Sudden Impact. Like he did, he did a ton of stuff, but he was also, he was a big bossa nova, uh, guy. So, I mean, the guy put albums out almost every, every year, just jazz albums. Like he was very well renowned. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one thing I'll say about this movie is the score was fantastic. (laughs) I mean, when you didn't hear like machine typing over top of it, sure, you know, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just we'll let's get to some of the cast. There, there's a lot of people here, and a lot of it I just kind of just threw out the window because I'm like, yeah, I don't know who they are, but let's just get to some of the the, the higher points, and then I have some yeah, uh, I, later, later I, cuts. I glazed over a lot as well, so yeah. maybe you can fill in some blanks that maybe I got, maybe I can fill maybe. in some blanks for who, you who knows? too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so obviously we have Charles Bronson who plays Major Gregory Borisov, which we just talked about him. So I'm um, not going to go into his career again. American we have Lee- from Pennsylvania. We know that much. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we have Lee Remick who plays Barbara. Um, she was the mother in the Omen, the wife, mother. Um, can't remember the character's name off the top of my head. But she was Miss that was Omen. The one. That's, that's, she was Mrs. Omen, right? Yeah, Mrs. Omen. There you go. <laughs> uh, that was the thing I knew her from. Um, she was in a few episodes of Playhouse 90, which oh. there's a Twilight Zone connection because uh, Serling was very involved with that show. Um, and then she was nominated for an Oscar for Days of Wine and Roses, which I think we talked about that at some point on uh, Strange Highways here. I, I don't recall. I just like it, it was just interesting to me when I, when I was going through this and saw that she was nominated for an Oscar because I I don't think her performance was bad in this. I just don't think it. I don't think she was given the best grounding. So she did what she could with what she had. And you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would totally agree with that. And then we have Donald Pleasance, who we talked about last week playing Nikolai Dalchimsky. Um. So go back to last week if you want to talk about some Donald Pleasance. And he will be coming up, I believe, at some point in Twilight Zone, yes, right? Yes, he will be. Yeah, like uh, yep. season – yeah, not – later in season three. Yeah, that's what we talked yep. about. Yep. So then we have Tyne Daly who plays Dorothy Putterman, um, the statistician. Uh, <laughs> the, the computer talker uh, that looked like Barb from Stranger Things. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what Nora said when she was sitting next to me. She was like, "Oh my God, Barb, this is where she went." Yeah, she didn't go to the upside down. She just went to the way back. That's where she went to where computers <laughs> computers talk to you, but not really. But sometimes they do. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah, so um, we got. She was in two things. I wrote down. She was in Dirty Harry, the Enforcer, and uh, 
most recently Spider-Man Homecoming, which I know you're a big fan of. She was. She was the person that basically came in and told Michael Keaton, hey, you can't take the alien stuff. We own it. And then he got mad at her and then he became the vulture. So Does she still look like Barb? Uh, no, no, she did not. Because we don't know what Barb looked like because she never got past that age. So maybe she did look like older Barb. We just never know. Uh, okay. She was also Lacey and Cagney and Lacey, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. I missed that. <laughs> ton ton <laughs> of Broadway work. Like, she's really known as a theater uh, actor. And you didn't expect this coming, brother of Tim Daly. Uh, so you got your Wings connection in this uh, episode. Great. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how I missed the Cagney and Lacey <laughs> thing. But... That's like her biggest thing that she's known for. No, so. I know. <laughs> I just skipped down like, ooh, Dirty Harry film. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, we have Ellen uh, Bedell, who plays Colonel Malchenko, who uh, the only thing I wrote down for him, uh, film I like, Force 10 from Navarone. Yeah, I looked him up and nothing really rang a bell. Like he was in the Day of the Jackal, but that's not the movie I'm thinking it is. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but Force 10 from Navarone, the uh, sequel of Guns of Navarone, is actually really fun. It's got an amazing cast with like Harrison Ford and Franco Nero and Barbara Bach and like all these all these incredible uh, like genre actors that pop up in this war film. It's really fun. Well, you said Franco Nero. So now I have to watch it for his really pretty eyes. So yeah, they're gorgeous in that one. (laughs) (laughs) That that is the the guns of Navarone is his eyes. You just don't know. (laughs) That's the force. (laughs) Um, The next up, we have Patrick McGee, who I spoke about. He played the innkeeper last week on monster club. And then last one I wrote down, obviously we talked about him again. uh, John Mitchum who plays Harry Bascom. Uh, he was in Rip Van Winker Caper. Uh, so I just want to mention, not that we know any of these characters by name. Well, actually, maybe. Roy Jensen was Doug Stark. I don't remember who he was, but he was in Johnny Midnight. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Jacqueline Scoot, who was Mrs. And, Hassler. And Doug who, is the bar owner at the end. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was the bar owner. But yeah, uh, Miss yeah, Hassler. Yeah, the bar named The Dug Out. That's why <laughs> I, I completely. I watched this movie twice. Didn't pick up on that. On, on him being Doug. I, not that I, I got the Doug Out. Uh, Jacqueline Scoot was Mrs. Hassler, so she was the one yelling at her husband, uh, and she was just sad about life and talking to bill collectors. She was in an episode of The Twilight Zone, not one we've seen yet, and also in Johnny Midnight. So there's double Johnny Midnight connections in this film. Uh, who so would have thought? Who would have thought? I was really, really thinking there was going to be a Hawaiian eye, but there wasn't. Um, and then I just want to also mention uh, Iggy Wolfington, because he was the, the father um, that you see, like he was the Catholic priest. I, he done, he did nothing that I cared about, but his name was Iggy Wolfington. Uh, so <laughs> I tried really hard to find something that I knew in his filmography because of that same reason. Yeah. And then uh, James Nolan was the guy working in the appliance store that had all the TVs that um, Donald Pleasance went in and was like, can you just turn them all to the news so I could check out the quality of the TVs? He was in A Penny for Your Thoughts. He was Jim. I don't remember who that was. So there you go. So that that's, I just found some weird connections, but there's a Johnny Midnight connection. So I was very happy. A double connection. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of people in this. Um, yeah. that, I, I think we've pretty much nailed what we need to talk about <laughs> as far as cast. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. This one, th- this talking about this film is going to be different than. Anything else we've done? Because one, I mean, have we done just a straight ahead? We've not just done a film. We've always done anthology or just like short stories, right? We've not done a straight up like whole hour and a half dedicated to one story. I don't think we've done that yet. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and uh, to go through it kind of step by step like we like to with Twilight Zone, just to get into the nitty gritty of the episode, uh, is going to be very tedious with the yeah. way that this movie plays out. So I don't, I don't know if you want to start some sort of synopsis here just to give people an idea of what we're getting into. Yeah. Basically you get the idea that the, the Russian government that um, they're trying to find uh Dalchimsky, which I thought was a Russian chimp that had was on the loose, but was not. Oh, that Pleasance. would have been a way cuter film. That would have been great. It's like, Oh, Dalchimsky. What if Donald Pleasance in a monkey costume. <laughs> that would have been even better. <laughs> I mean, they're just like, Hey, this guy, Donald Pleasance likes creeping behind bushes and storefronts. Maybe he's up to something. <laughs> it turns out he um, stole, a book that has trigger phrases um, for sleeper agents and um, that have been planted in America that don't know they're sleeper agents because they're like, it's a drug induced uh, hypnosis and he's on the loose and he's activating these agents um, well past the point of when the Russian government was considering using them because they're at a better point overall politically with the world in the United States. Yeah. So like after the Cuban missile crisis, there were spy planes that were sent over Moscow and over Russia. And so they were worried that there was going to be this nuclear uh, attack and everything. So they, uh, they basically came up with this idea that they would find recently deceased Americans Mm -hmm. to drop these Soviet uh, agents in who were brainwashed into thinking that they were these Americans, but they were still able through like a kind of MK ultra type thing. Um, they were hypnotized and thinking there were these people. And then when somebody reads off this, uh, this phrase, which is from the Robert Frost poem, stopping, uh, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening, which I read the segment when we started this episode, um, when he reads that and inserts their original Russian name into it, it wakes them up back into what they're supposed to do. And they're going to attack these, um, now out dated military uh points yeah within the united states there was like 54 or 55 of them and yeah and their targets were all ingrained in them as part of the training yeah which i i read somebody's uh review on this um by accident i was trying to steer clear of people's thoughts on this film um but i read somebody complaining that like why would you make the targets like these old military posts and stuff because it really doesn't create a sense of urgency. But my argument would be it makes sense because we're we're like, what, how, how long since like the Cuban Missile Crisis? Um, like oh, what year was that? It was like that was mid 60s. So we're still like like 15 years out from that. Yeah. So we're 15 years out from it. We have a better relationship at this point with Russia. Um, it makes sense that when they dropped these people in there 22 years ago, that those would have been the targets, but now those targets aren't like those are all out in the open and everything. And some of them are shut down. Some of them are uh, people know exactly what they are now. They used to be top secret. So I thought that made sense that they were still attacking these old spots and these old targets. Yeah. So I think the person complaining about that missed the point. Like that was yeah, because really the reason they send, they end up deciding to send, um, Charles Bronson's character, Gregory, and to find him because they're worried that the U.S. government is going to connect the dots and realize that these are Russian agents who are committing these attacks and that it's going to start the nuclear war again. Yeah, and that's why they don't go and tell the government, hey, what's up? Because they don't want to reveal 
like Project Telephone, because the whole thing is everything was supposed yeah. to be activated versus a telephone, which is the Russian word for telephone, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so the whole thing is they don't want to reveal all of it because it's one of those things that it, it is um, it's a dark secret, but it's also an asset. So they, they kind of just want to still keep it under wraps. So uh, and I know it kind of and also yeah. like the the powers that are uh, the powers that be in Russia at the time did not know about it. So they didn't yeah. want to reveal it to their people or the or the U.S. just because it would ring way too many bells. <laughs> people would be uh, way too many alarms would be set off by this. Which so they wanted to just keep it under wraps. It's it's, it's a pretty decent hook to start a film. Like let's be honest. Like I liked. Oh, I, liked I was the in. idea. Yeah, I, you you know I love dry crime films. Yeah, and especially like espionage and everything. Like I was like, man, this is going to be boring and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> What, you think that, I was so pumped. <laughs> that should have been the tagline on the poster. Telephone. This film is a boring and amazing. That would have been, <laughs> would have been great. Uh, Don Siegel directs it. That's all. It's, Don Siegel says it's a film, but uh, an old white guy directs an out of time <laughs> espionage film. Kevin, you're gonna love it. Yeah, it's like you're <laughs> That's not even. The tagline. Yeah, it's like you're not even born yet, but you'll love it. No, um, so I, I guess the thing I stepped on was like so as um. Uh, Dalchinsky's activating these agents, you see some of the, the actions that they're taking. Like at first there is uh, a mechanic in Denver. Is it Denver, Colorado is Denver yes. that he calls yeah. him like this guy who has the most like, like, you know, Northern, I don't, he had, he definitely had a quote unquote American accent talking to his buddy at the repair shop. Uh, he gets activated immediately walks into his office, grabs a toolbox of some sort puts it on the front of his tow truck and drives to an old weapons depot and he drives it into this military base and causes the truck himself and the toolbox to explode. And then somehow the entire building falls down, which I understand that that was his target. And there was some type of explosive in the toolbox. The size of the explosion does not match the size of the vehicle driving into the building. Um, it was a beautiful explosion and they actually blew up a building and that's always fun to see like in terms of like real destruction, but the, 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 um, what actually happened versus what caused it to happen are very disproportionate, but you know, whatever mission accomplished, um, Donald Pleasance in the distance with a really, really, really bad shot of, of a, like a process shot of a reflection of the explosion on his glasses as he's watching this explosion. Because you realize later on, they must have been post-production been like, oh, we don't have him looking at this. Well, we'll just put the explosion on his glasses. No one will notice. Did you yeah. did you see how bad that was? It was really bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> uh, but I love that Donald Pleasance as Del Chimsky, um, the rogue um, Soviet. Uh, I, I don't was he a major or what was no he, he was in the re he was in the records keeping division which is like the whole thing oh, okay. was like because yeah. there was two copies of this code book one of them the higher ups that knew about project telephone had and the other one was kept in special documents and he happened to be working in special documents and he just took it and he went off and was like activating agents so he knew yeah. about it because he was a documents man so not really that high up but trusted with secrets yeah so I, I like that he was always off in the distance watching these happen these things happen because uh, as as you can tell from last week I love Donald Pleasant just popping up smiling <laughs> in the background of things <laughs> yeah uh, but I I, I like because you mentioned that there's two of these books that have it has a list of every sleeper agent within the United States and it has 
how to, you know, activate them with this Robert Frost poem. Um, but so when they call in uh, <laughs> Bronson, yeah, they it, they make it clear that he has a photographic memory. So they're going to make him the third contact book. So but, he's going to yeah. memorize all of the names, addresses, uh, everything that's in that of all of the sleeper agents. So essentially making him the third book so he can go out and find these people, which it's a cool idea. Um, so when you first meet Bronson though, uh, he's, uh, he is, um, he's overseeing hockey practice question mark. There's way too many kids on the ice for it to be a game. Let's just go throw that out there. And yeah. these kids all show up and they're all like, he stops the play. And I, if I had a stopwatch, I'd probably would have said his accent lasts all of 0.6 seconds talking to these kids. <laughs> um, and so he's talking about like, you know, be like anticipate movements, know where the puck is, know what your, your opponent's going to do. And then as they're having this talk, like this helicopter lands and says, Hey, we need you immediately at the Kremlin. He's like, I'll be there as soon as I change clothes. Like there's no immediate urgency to get this helicopter. No. Why would you bring the helicopter there? I mean, it just seems like, it just seems like you're calling more attention to this hockey coach that might be more in life than a hockey coach. You know, that seems yeah. a little weird, but I love, he has an accent for a second and then it just, it just <laughs> stops. Like he yeah. doesn't bother the rest of the movie with any type of attempt at a Russian accent. Yeah, it's all right. Well, he's supposed to be fitting in as an American, <laughs> uh, which we find out. But yeah. yeah, I, I love that whole thing about like keeping your eye on the puck and everything. Yeah. Um, it's just so on the nose. It's so funny. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. Yeah. But it, it, in contrast to like the poem that they pick to be the release for the sleeper agents, like the trigger, um, like that's so not on the nose and such a like nicely picked poem for that. Cause like, I don't know if you checked out that poem. I have not, Did but you I read I've, the whole thing. No, I, it, 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 but the phrasing of it, I have heard it before. So I wonder if they weren't better off picking something that wasn't the potential of an American poet, because what are the chances that maybe, maybe one of these sleeper agents happens to hear the American <laughs> poet, Robert Frost at some point, you know, like what if they happen to be at a high school graduation and the valedictorian doesn't have anything and they decide to read this poem, you know, like, yeah. and then suddenly they're just walking away from the football field and they're going to go find their secret stash of weapons like that. Like you are banking on no one ever knowing what this poem is. Yeah. But I mean, the poem's talking about uh, some kind of horseback, like stopping. He's on some sort of job, but he stops for a minute to like appreciate the woods and appreciate like a farmhouse and everything. But then realizing that he has the promises to keep and like a job to fulfill yeah. and that he has to keep going to do the mission that he was there for. And it's, it's such a, like when you read the poem and everything, it lines up with the movie so nicely. And it's so, it doesn't hit you over the head with what it's trying to say. Whereas like his whole thing about watching the puck and everything <laughs> and turning this into a game, I was like, Oh God, <laughs> like it's, it's so on the nose. So I just want to let you know right now. And I've, I've, I've kept this hidden from you since we've been talking tonight before we started recording. I decided my drink of choice tonight would be a white Russian. So I didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't make it exactly oh, right. Yeah. So I'm just going to call white Russian uh, Bronson from now yeah. on. Well, here, here's my reasoning. So I picked, I, I put vodka in here and some Kahlua. I didn't use heavy cream. I used milk. So you could argue that this is a fake white Russian, much like Charles <laughs> Bronson. 
<laughs> oh my god, that's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> that's all right. So yeah. White Russian with milk is uh, is forever now known as, as a Bronson. Bronson. Yeah, I love it. And if you put half so and half funny. in it, it's a Lebowski. Just so you know, that's what. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, they send him to America to go. Uh, uh, first of all, get rid of the sleeper agents and catch Delchimsky. Um, and they have a contact that's there who is Barbara, played by um, uh, Lee Remick that we discussed. And she's going to meet up with him. She doesn't know anything about what's going on. And uh, he's not supposed to tell her because they're trying to keep this as. Uh, on the download as possible. The only there's only three people in the entire world that know. Well, mm-hmm. four if you count Delchimsky. Uh, four people in the entire world that know what's going on. So, um, yeah, I, I they end up. I think he flies into Calgary. Canada. Yeah, Calgary. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I like crossing the border in this. Cracked <laughs> me up. It was so easy for them to get across the border. Yeah, and growing up and crossing the border in like a post nine 11 world that we live in right now is so stressful that, Oh my God, like this, it just made me laugh. And I'm sure it used to be that easy, but like I've had my car searched for no reason. Like the dude just like, where are you guys from? What are you doing? Like, Oh, we're just going home. We're from here. He's like, (laughs) okay, see ya. <laughs> well, yeah, like I, I, the the last time I went to Canada was before nine eleven, and we got stopped coming back into the U.S. Not going to Canada. Oh and, no, yeah. Canada! They wave you right on through. Yeah, they're just like, well, you know, ha- have a good time, eh? Your your money's your money's worth more over here, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, like when you ask for, you know, when you, when you give them a five dollar bill, they give you coins back as dollars. I don't know, it's weird. Um, but yeah, it was funny because it's like I'll pick you up in Calgary. And I'll go and stop at the border of Montana and say, hey, where are you from? And she's like, America, from what she said someplace. And then asked Charles Bronson, the Russian. He was like, American, from Pennsylvania. And like, have a good day, sir. Like, just sent them on their way. Um, it was, I'm American yeah. from Americaville. The American. Like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the whole thing with her is that she's like upbeat and kind of like, she is very... Like as as watching the movie, she's very likable. Like she's much more animated than he is, and she is all about and kind of the cutesy husband and wife thing. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, which I, I love the sound clip he pulled because <laughs> he is so cold to her this entire movie. Like, like what about the gun? Like that's why I had to cut her out because it's just like that sounds sinister. And then he says some things later on that are way worse. But then okay, so I just want to also mention there's a side story. There's a parallel story to this movie. With Barb, that's not her name. Um, uh, what's her What's her character's name? It's um, uh, Dorothy, oh, Dorothy Putterman. Putterman, which is a horrible name. She's the the you know the analyst with the computers, and she's at Langley, and she's working with the CIA. And basically, all the guys are in like they're they're, they're literally smoking cigars and, and talking shit to her. And she's the only one that is aware of like like big things going on. They're all kind of dismissing her, and she's getting information kind of like. Um, not it's it's kind of dribbling down to her because she's overhearing conversations from these guys like about these these um like unrelated attacks right so you had the first one with that was in Denver then there was one in um Appalachia Florida, Florida whatever yeah, it was called it was I, a stupid I didn't name even try Florida yeah <laughs> Florida and then um and then the one off screen where uh Donald Pleasance calls Akron Ohio 
um, like she's starting to kind of figure out there's something going on and she saw this news story or she's putting together information about all these people that were not politically aligned with what's going on currently in Russia within a matter of 14 days. They're all meeting mysterious deaths, like, you know, like awkward deaths. And the CIA is not acknowledging. They're, they're basically telling her, oh, yeah, 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 go mess with your numbers and your computers. Who cares? And I really, yeah. really, really, really thought that that parallel story would eventually like connect and it does, but not really like that. Yeah, yeah. Not in the way I was expecting yeah. it to. Yeah. Like I thought they were going to come in and like intercept something going on in this, but, um, so yeah. I, I, I don't know how much you want to get into because there's a lot of back and forth between like Bronson in the hotel room, hearing things on the news and them rushing out and seeing like the aftermath of it. <laughs> and slowly they get closer and closer to Donald Pleasant's character as it goes on. Um, and, and don't forget about the, uh, the priest attack as well. <laughs> yeah. We can't, we can't, fig- we can't forget about, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, his name, just Iggy Wolfington as the yeah. priest, uh, as father Stuart Diller, what he tells his, uh, I don't know the, per- the parishioner. Like, let me show you the last rites sometime, and he answers the phone. You know, <laughs> so like basically, uh, Dalchinsky is bouncing all over the country with, with supposedly without pattern, activating these agents. The those then in the know of the Russian government are worried about him, so they send uh, Bronson out to take care of it, and they have their American contact who's working with them. What you find out in the meantime is that those in the know view him since he's the third book as a liability. So as soon as they catch Dalchimsky, they're going to order her to kill him. And, yes. uh, it's the big double cross. Right. So, and, and so, and at the same time, there's this, uh, there is this establishment of a relationship between, um, Bronson and, and her, which I, I shouldn't just keep saying her. That's, that's dis- dismissive. Um, Barbara, Barbara, and so she's slowly winning him over with her competency and her, her nature. And he's slowly like opening up more about what's going on. And for someone that has a photographic memory, I don't know why he needs a photo of Dalchinsky with him in his wallet, but whatever, that's different. We'll just let that go. <laughs> but so they kind of, they start putting the pieces together and it, it's what could be an interesting story just becomes a slog because it goes from him like always on the tail end of something happening. And then there's the CIA that doesn't know what's going on, but Putterman is slowly figuring out with her and her computer that's doing things that I don't think computers can do at that time. I don't know. That seems a little weird. Um, and then, uh, th- then you have like, I don't know. You have Dalchinsky always just like mugging for the camera and you never really know his motivation. No, they hint at it that he might be like a Stalinist who's upset by the current regime that's won over. And, you know, they they give a few ideas of why he might be doing this, but you never get a resolution with his character, which is a bummer Um, because you need Donald Pleasance to monologue. You need him. You need him to oh, talk yeah. more, and he I doesn't mean, do that. The scenes of him reading the Robert Frost poem over the phone, like those phone calls are incredible. They're great. I, yeah, I love it. Um, unfortunately, it happens a few too many times for it to be <laughs> effective by the end. Like, but the first couple times it happened, I was like, I am loving this movie. Like, just Donald Pleasance reading Robert Frost over the phone and mind, like controlling people's minds. I was like, I am so into this, but. By like the fifth time it happens, it kind of loses effect. Yeah. Um, 
But there is one attack that he triggers. It's with the mother, I think, down in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, that one was really messed up because you show and like talking about uh, the poem, like the uh, uh, having somebody stop and just enjoy the scenery before going on with their mission and everything like they show her with her kids just on like a normal day of her, like going to make pancakes and stuff for like the kids having a party or something. And um, she gets that call and goes and ends up like blowing up a big communications tower or whatever. Um, and then taking a suicide pill. Yeah. And I was like, this, this is the darkest out of all of them. <laughs> like, and you know, there's not very much stakes for like the public, like the, the American public, but like just that is so devastating seeing like that. It, this lady had no idea what she was doing. No, when that, she did that's it. fair, but it's 10 minutes of the film in the third act. Like it, it, yes. It yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like film, that, right? that should have come earlier. Yeah. Like that's what we should have had. Like two that should have been the first of, thing that should have been the yes. very first thing is like this woman, like she's taking care of her kids and she's like, if you guys don't get ready, you don't get pancakes. And then she gets the call and then she drives her station wagon out the middle of nowhere, like uses her keys to, like to to loosen uh, a note for herself to walk eight paces uh, that seemed weird and then <laughs> yeah. like dig up like up this box that's basically it is a, a detonation kit you know it goes on and on and on and on and I'm not yeah. saying it's bad it's just that it kills the momentum of the film at that point because even though what you're witnessing is devastating it's just it's just slow you know and yeah. And, and it's frustrating because, like, you've already gotten, as a viewer, that the moment this trigger phrase happens, because the whole thing with the father, with uh, Father, I you know, Wolfenstein or whatever his name is, I don't remember, his Iggy, Iggy Wolfenstein, um, you don't see his attack, but you hear about it on the TV, and then because he isn't successful, he ends up in the hospital coma, which brings one of the more interesting moments of the film whenever he is guarded by the, it was the FBI or whatever. Yeah. And and Dr. Bronson, who just shows up in a room and grabs a briefcase and a stethoscope, and he's like, I'm a doctor, it's fine. And he goes and tells uh um, you know, you, you what's her name again? Barbara. 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 He tells Barbara, Hey, you should dress up as a nurse and go in there and just like, you know, put an air bubble in his line and that's it. And she's like, Well, why? And he's like, Because I told you to. And then she goes in and kills him. That is an interesting moment in the film where she just does it because that's her job. And she will do it without question. And yeah. for a moment there, and it was you a think good that, way to yeah. break up the repetitiveness that the kind of happened uh, repetition that was happening throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Just because it was like same thing, like call attack, call attack. But having having it just seeing the aftermath of them having to just clean up a failed attempt was a way to do it. But I, I think if we would have had just like a like maybe like two or three good attacks and then just hear about the rest of them and have the cat and mouse between Donald Pleasance and, um, and, um, and Charles Brownson be a little bit stronger. I think you could have ramped up the tension. And if, if you watch something like the original dirty Harry, like talk about a cat and mouse that leads up to an amazing resolution in, in that film. And that's, that's kind of was what I was expecting. Cause you got two like powerhouse actors playing alongside each other, like, or against each other. Like this needed that final 
that final showdown that Absolutely. I feel like we were kind yeah. of cheaped out of. Well, this stopping everything for a second. What if what if they would have like changed position and put the housewife in a coma and had her go in and kill her knowing that she had a family with kids? Think about that for a second. That would have been dark. Like other than killing a priest, I guess that's dark too, but like the yeah. knowledge that like that maybe even if this person would have talked, they're still the like the mother of two children. Like, you know, this is it, it just there is a interesting idea here of though these agents were part of the cause and knew that they would have themselves wiped to be undercover, they ended up having lives and, and having yeah, for 22 yeah, years. Yeah. And like, so and, th- yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Uh, well, uh, that housewife, like her kids were probably like 10 years old at most. Yeah. So like she had those kids and had been raising those kids and the whole time that she was, a sleeper agent had no idea, like a, a terrifying idea. Well, that's why I thought it was funny that the second one was that guy who was the helicopter pilot and he was having a hard time with his wife and then he got triggered and he's walked into the helicopter without talking to her the entire time. I'm like, he's faking being triggered. He doesn't want to talk to her. He's done you know, having this argument with her about bill pairs and a dream. I just wanted to be like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm a sleeper agent. Can't control myself. And he just flies away. Like I, that's what I wanted to believe, you know, but like, I just like the, like it, it is a very dark idea. Right. But then, halfway through watching this movie the second time i realized that was the major plot of the naked gun was these triggered agents that didn't know they were agents <laughs> like seriously it's the, it's the same plot point and well, you know what when i was on the imdb page um somewhere on there i think i think it was in like the uh forum section i don't even know i don't even think that's open anymore naked gun had popped up at some point i was like that's that's weird and i never even thought about it but you're right yeah it's all about you don't know who's gonna be triggered next i mean it wasn't with the poem but it was basically like a like an actual trigger right so and, yeah. and, and there's been other evidence this this is a trope that's been used a lot like you recently watched uh the winter soldier uh the captain america film and the winter soldier the, the, he's not he's not necessarily triggered, but he, he is reset with phrasing and a device. Right. And so yeah, it's very, it's very well, similar. Mean, it's, it's like the CIA. I mentioned, um, uh, the MK ultra thing, which was like the fifties. And, uh, finally, I think it ended a year, 10 years before this film came out or five years before this film came out. But I mean, they were testing drugs and stuff on people and trying to use mind control to force confessions from people. And it didn't work. And it ruined a lot of people's lives and stuff. But like, I like that the idea, like, they took this and it was almost as if Soviet Russia was able to actually successfully perform Project MKUltra as Project Telephone. Yeah. So, like, there are great ideas grounded in somewhat reality somewhat conspiracy theory um but it it works and obviously that's a lot of that mind control by the government and everything is coming from that um but it it, i i like we we kind of glossed over to talk about the uh triggering um the button with the guy bringing them tea earlier on on. Yeah, Bronson is being uh, brought up to speed what's going on. So as an example, while he's still in Leningrad, uh, they, they have a guy bring him tea. And then as he's exiting, one of the people talking to Bronson says a trigger fa- phrase about like, what was it? Uh, something about, um, I don't know, something something wins or something, whatever. And, and it causes him 
to stop what he's doing, go over and grab an unloaded gun and keep shooting it at like the guy who triggered him and Bronson. And then when that doesn't work or what he thinks is successful, and this is the most disturbing part, he puts it in his mouth and starts pulling the trigger over and over again until he's drug out of the room just to show that like this process works. And then moments later he brings, he brings tea and like nothing happened. <laughs> like, I yeah. was like, Oh, I'm glad he's okay again. I'm glad that they said the right thing to, un- to undo that, which is something that I feel like if you had sleeper agents and you had a trigger phrase, and you have some of the photographic memory, maybe there should be an untriggering phrase, which was never yeah, brought up. there should up. be a kill switch. There should be a kill switch. There definitely switch. should be. Like, there should be a Dr. Seuss poem or something that you read at the end if you're going to use American <laughs> poet. Like a Shel Silverstein poem or something. I don't yes, know. Yes, that would be perfect. <laughs> like, the sidewalk ends now. Your mission is over. You know? like Yeah, or just, uh, just go real... Uh, <laughs> Just do like uh, the places you will go. The places you will go. <laughs> You're yeah. gonna live another life now. <laughs> you will not blow up the mission munitions factory. All the places you won't go. You know. But uh, so so eventually this becomes a whole thing where um, Bronson, which I, I love that we keep calling him Bronson, not his actual name. You know, Agent yeah, Russian. Gregory. Yeah, Gre- Gregory Bronson. Um, he starts to piece together, and like you find out that Dal- Dalchinsky's motivation for all this is the towns in which the agents are are located that he is spelling his name Dalchimsky across the country. And I don't know why that doesn't feel good to me. Even then, that is a really dumb way to be like, oh, we figured it out. And then like they got to the letter H in his name. So they figured out that the next targets would be, there's two of them and one's in Houston and the other one's in, um, I don't know, not Houston, Texas. Both of them are in Texas. Um, and for a motivation, you have a book with like 55, 56 agents and you know, their targets And and if you even know that their targets are decommissioned military bases, I'm going to guess that some of them aren't because the second target wasn't the second target actually had an active missile battery, which by the way, I never have to worry about a passenger helicopter ever attacking the United States because they were on that quickly. Um, but like, I feel like Delchinsky, if his motivation was to cause chaos and to leave a mark, then maybe find the most active targets to incite this. I don't know. It's it's a weird motivation, but Bronson figures it out. But that's what I was saying. These sleeper agents were set with specific targets that were 22 years old. So the targets that they were hitting might not be relevant at the time that he was setting them off. But don't you think Dolchinsky would have done the research to figure out if there was a relevant target? That's my point. I think the idea that he's spelling his name out is that he wants to cement himself into history and that he's got some sort of psychosis going on. So like I, I, they lead you to kind of believe that he's not of sound mind and that even if he was doing this for Russia or some misguided, uh, for Russia, you know, um, that he's just not right. So I, I think a sane person, like, a, I, I mean, a rational person wouldn't <laughs> do this at all, but like, 
a rational person would think like that. But this guy was so worried about like leaving a legacy with it that he wanted everyone to know that it was him doing this by spelling his name out. But sure. Yeah. But it's kind of dumb. (laughs) Yeah. So then, so Bronson figures it out and, but at the same time, Putterman figures it out by using her magic computer at the time. And I just want to mention Putterman again, because she is constantly like, she is a strong character. I like, I like her because she is confident in her abilities and she knows what she's talking about. And she's basically Google in this movie. Cause anytime yeah. anybody says anything around her, she brings up all this relevant information and they're like, well, that's cool. Can you go back and talk to the computer some more? Cause I don't understand it. And I'm afraid of technology and women succeeding in the workplace. So well, I, I yeah. like it too. Cause she knows that they're not going to take her seriously. Yeah. So she'll kind of lead them on for a minute. And then when they're not paying attention or they're trying to be dismissive of her she'll drop like a bomb on them and they're all like wait what so <laughs> like, she does it multiple times in the movie and it it's really funny so like the, legitimately funny her boss comes in and was like well, talk to the computer it's like you can type in yourself but so they they figure out that by adding uh Dalchimsky's name because you find out that the the um that gosh her name again i always forget barbara barbara Wow, that is not a bit, people. I honestly forget her name. I'm so sorry for saying that. Uh, she is actually working with the U.S. government as well. She's a double agent uh, or triple yeah. agent. I don't know. She's talking to Russia. She's talking to the U.S. She's on her own thing. Um, she's been kind of giving constant reports about what's going on. So they, they get the name Dalchimsky from from her, and they put it in the computer. And based upon the information they have, there's like a 41% probability that the hometowns of these people tie into what's going on the cia doesn't know what to do with this but it's a breakthrough so uh butterman's boss kisses her on the lips and then walks out of the room and she views this as a positive what just happened in this film yeah yeah there's some questionable uh gender politics going on in this film uh between the workplace uh, stuff and Bronson and the way he treats Barbara in yeah. this is uh, it's questionable. Like, it's not good. <laughs> I could see maybe a kiss on the cheek as like a like I mean maybe full on the lips and then he walks out and then she just kind of smiles to herself and types into the computer hip hip hooray like she got a promotion. I but she didn't and that's that's it for her her story arc is that she figured out. With the forty-one percent probability that the, this is what's going on, so the CIA does not know with any certainty until the last minutes of the film what is going on. <laughs> like so, so so uh, Bronson calls the like, he calls the the Doug out and and uh, other H Town Texas and finds out that Doug is not around for the next twenty-four hours, and so then he figures that Dalchimsky is going to go to Houston to activate the other agent. And this is the closest we get to like an action sequence in the movie. Um, and he rushes there with, with um, I, Barbara. That's, that's not her name. It, it, it is Barbara, isn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is I, amazing. Finished, I finished my white Russian. I don't know what's wrong with me. But anyway, I keep wanting to say Lee because it's her real name. So they rush to Houston to try to stop this activation. And there's a whole segment in the lobby of the hotel where he's like, I'm here to speak to this guy. And the, the guy at the hotel lobby is like, oh, he's on the second floor. Wait. No, let me check. He could be elsewhere. He wanders around sometimes. And it's like this whole bit of story, like plot that has nothing to do with anything. And then he figures <laughs> out that the, the person's like up on like the top floor in a restaurant. So then becomes this like slow elevator chase 
to try yeah, to find. Well, yeah. The elevators are gorgeous, though. They are gorgeous. I just want to bring that up. Yeah. Like I was, I was entranced by those elevators, which I guess that uh, Hyatt or whatever that the hotel or building was is actually in San Francisco and not in Houston. Because I if we're if we're talking about going to um, Texas possibly next year and i was like maybe we'll go and visit that hyatt just so i can take a picture on that elevator from uh well if you do um, that i have to grab a really long luxury car in the basement and drive it immediately into a pillar as i'm pulling out of there that's what has to happen so he rushes up to the uh the restaurant that this the manager is at i think he's like the hotel manager or building manager whatever um he gets all the way up there and the waiter informs bronson that the guy just really received a phone call and left. So obviously it's Del Chimpsey trying to get a hold of him. So he rushes downstairs. He tries to catch up with him. They end up down in the parking garage. You just mentioned he's in this like luxury car and, <laughs> uh, uh, Gregory, um, Bronson tries to shoot him through the windshield, but he ends up crashing into another car and there's another giant explosion. Well, yeah, he, he's chasing this guy down. He, and, and Bronson actually, as soon oh, as the yeah. cars there's crash, some great shots yeah. of him pushing people down escalators. Yes. Too. Yes. It's, it's like if Bronson wants out, you let him out. That that's the one thing, you know, um, so <laughs> that, that dude <laughs> face planted. Um, I was actually writing notes when I was watching and I missed it and Nora made me rewind it just so I could see the guy go face first down the escalator. <laughs> well, so I guess I, I read some trivia about this film, the whole thing of him running out of the, esca- the escalator, so the elevator to a certain point, looking off in the distance, they put tape on the, on the floor for him. And Bronson was offended that he couldn't hit his mark. Like he was like, you, you don't think I can do this. So he had a big fight with, with uh, Don Siegel about it. And basically Siegel's like, the only reason we have this here is because I want to keep the elevators in the shot because they look cool. And they eventually, they, they eventually worked it out. But the fact that Bronson's like, you don't think I can hit a mark. Like they got in an argument about this. And I love it. Well, that Siegel's like the elevators look cool, which I'm glad that you brought that up because he agreed with you. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was the best visual of the movie, to be honest, yeah. were those elevators. <laughs> they were gorgeous. I loved it. But I like that um, whenever Donald Pleasance is running across the street in Houston, he's wearing this like thick coat and you can see his breath because the outs, the exteriors for quote unquote Houston was still shot in Montana. <laughs> like a lot of this movie was shot in Montana. And it's like, sure, that works. You know, so it's like, that seems unseasonably cold for Montana. Not Montana, I'm sorry, Texas. For, it's yeah, for Houston, Houston, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so then, you know, so after the car car crashes, Bronson runs over to the, the car with the activated guy and it just shoots him straight in the face. Yeah, no because question. the first explosion wasn't big enough to kill him, apparently. Yeah. So Bronson had to go over and shoot him in the head and then the car exploded again <laughs> and Bronson dives out. I was like, what just exploded twice? Yeah. <laughs> so then I thought both cars just exploded, which I, again, we like, we talk about some of the, the more outrageous points of this film. I think it's interesting that again, he chooses the simplest way out of this problem is just to shoot the guy and move on. And it's very, you don't see that now you'd always see like the, you would see a hesitation. You would see an arc where the main character maybe thinks that, you know, Hey, maybe we can save this guy. That's never been, even at the very end with Doug, it, it, it really isn't his priority. His priority is for the nation, you know? And like, yeah. it's well, very and you interesting. You can see that with his interaction with Barbara earlier in the film. Um, and, 
another kind of little point we skipped over there. There are scenes where they're talking about, she's trying to pry information about the mission out of him. And he's like, you, you don't need to know anything. If you try and reach out to your contact again about this, I will kill you. Yeah. Like just flat out. And there, there are moments where he just like grabs her by the head yeah. and tells her like it, it it's it's real uh, questionable the way he treats her in this. So you can see that he's a cold, unflinching agent for. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't, uh, yeah, you're right. We didn't mention the whole like just grabbing her by the face like she he's at like a table, like a break, like a table like during breakfast. She's bringing him orange juice. He's reading the paper and she makes some kind of comment. He just looks at her like they're. they're there is no hesitation. It's like a snake striking. He just grabs her by the face and brings her down. And like, they talk for a second. And at that point, this is earlier in the film. She's like, I've killed for you without question. I need to be your partner. He's like, you know what? You got a point. I'll let go of your face now. And then I'll watch you drop this glass of orange juice for no reason. Like that was really, well. Weird. no, she drops it because she thought the mission was completed and she was ordered to kill him by both the CIA and Russia. So that was poisoned. And as soon as she realized that the mission was not over, she drops that on purpose. Wow. I watched this movie twice and didn't pick up on that. So good on you for figuring. I, I Nope. I I didn't know. Well, because it's, it's so strange how she drops it that I, I had to, I had to piece that together, but it's, it's not too overt on how they explain that. But yeah, I mean, that's right after you realize that the CIA told her that she needs to kill him too i believe so, so you're saying there's a subtle note in this film i just didn't pick up on it <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean there's, there's good little stuff like that kind of here and there throughout it so but yeah she yeah. was gonna poison poison him so now that Dalchimsky realizes that um that bronson has stopped the plan in houston he immediately hauls ass with the station wagon out of houston and and uh barbara tries to cut him off and that doesn't work out so well but i love that there happens there has to be like a 30 second segment of of donald pleasant's pulling into a gas station asking for a roadmap and the guy working the gas pumps like yeah people buy them as souvenirs we're getting some on tuesday he's like how am i supposed to find this town he's like drive north and there's this whole exchange of panic over a roadmap and i thought that was really funny because it's like it didn't really serve the movie then it definitely does not serve the movie now no no just just go where you need to go um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like let's just keep this pace going like no yeah. need to slow this movie down anymore yeah so yeah the other target is in somewhere else in texas i guess um it's it's this guy doug who owns a bar he's also a fisherman and he was the guy that was going to be out of town for the weekend or for the night fishing um he owns a bar called the doug out spelled like the name doug d-o-u-g <laughs> out which is amazing and the inside of the bar looked incredible they just have like it, it it was decorated with like you know the antlers on the walls and everything what you think of like a country uh texas bar you know but there were like rattlesnakes in tanks <laughs> all over the place yeah what was the rattlesnake's name i have i have it here somewhere it was like gary or something like that I can't remember. I didn't write down the snake's name, but the snake oh. had a, like a regular person name. And I, where is it? I took, I, I grabbed the screenshot of it. Where is it? At? I'm going to see um, if uh, it's listed on IMDb. Oh. Maybe we'll have another uh, elephant situation here. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, let me bring up the picture. Now my computer, yep. it's processing. It's processing. I will never know the name of the snake. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but so, um, Barbara and Gregory, they beat Delchimsky. Sorry, the name of the rattlesnake is Gus. (laughs) Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so they beat Donald Pleasance to the bar, and um, they're waiting for Doug to get back in. And uh, Doug gets back in with his giant fish that he caught. The one fish that he caught for 24 hours of fishing. <laughs> yeah. um, so they go out and uh, Bronson decides that he's going to trigger him, which I thought was a strange thing for him to do yeah. because he, he just kills everyone else without question. And it's just like, wouldn't you just rather just get rid of him than cause a problem? <laughs> yeah. I, or, or, or just wait for Dalchimsky to show up. Right. Like, because yeah, Bar- or, Barbara's yeah, kind of put it trigger him. Just, just yeah. let him go. Yeah, clearly like, this just guy's... wait for Del Chimsey to get there. Kill him. He doesn't mean no harm. He's just catching fish. He has a bar with a snake named Gus. Like he's not a threat, you know, like that's the whole thing is like, he's had a life and then you just go and be like, Oh, where'd you catch that fish at? He's like, Oh, by a lake full of trees. And he's like, full of trees. That reminds me of a poem. And then Bronson starts reciting the poem and like it is, it is awkward and weird. <laughs> and then, and then Gus is activated. Uh, and he immediately walks over to this cabinet that left to him. That is so full of dynamite that I don't know how oh, anybody comically full of dynamite. <laughs> like, like he Just bought bundles. stock in Acme, like Wiley coyote is coming to this guy for dynamite. <laughs> and it is like, and, and so he starts grabbing dynamite and grabbing dynamite. And then Bronson's like, no, 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 no. Your, your mission's over. It's like, that's not what you tell them. What you tell them is what you just, just said. Don't say that out loud. So he's dealing with Gus full of dynamite. And then, um, Dalchimsky shows up in the back. At, well, no, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, because they realize that he's not stopping. Uh, Bronson just strangles him to death. That's, that's it. Yeah. He just kills him. Yeah. And then locks him inside of that cabinet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, there's no dynamite there now, so I guess you could put a dead body. And so he <laughs> takes the place of Gus, knowing that Dalchimsky's going to show up, which yeah. Dalchimsky's MO has been calling the entire time. And even though he's been harassing Doug's wife like every 10 minutes on the phone, which I like that, where he's like, she's like, you're that guy calling again. He's like, it'd be really important if I talk to your husband. Um, you don't know for sure that he's going to physically show up. But for some reason, Bronson just assumes and he takes the position to Gus. So Dalchimsky shows up and they have this like brief interaction. And then the cops that have been like eating chili in the bar show up to try to talk to Gus. So, and yeah. Then, yeah. Well, it, they create this atmosphere like the cops are going to put some sort of like damper on the situation, you know, and screw it up for someone. But they it, it is resolved so fast yeah, that they just sort of like, well, I guess there's no problem. I'll go back inside and guess we got to finish some chili. <laughs> like- yeah, we'll go get some chili and some drinks. So they go back inside with Delchimsky and <laughs> I love uh, Bronson runs around to the front of the bar and starts ripping out parts of uh, of uh, <laughs> Donald Pleasance's engine <laughs> yes. in his car while he's watching him do it. <laughs> it's just you can see the fear in Donald Pleasant's eyes as he's watching him just like break pieces of his engine out of his car. He pulls something like off the distributor cap and just puts it on the ground, just, just smashes it like <laughs> while making eye contact the entire time. Like, it was great. It's so great. So he runs back in the bar. Uh, Donald Pleasance goes into the phone booth and he starts, he decides that he's just going to call and set off every other sleeper agent he can before he's caught. So 
they're uh, him and Barbara are trying to decide what to do in this situation. They're looking at each other, looking at all the people in the bar, and they look down at Gus the Snake. I'm so <laughs> glad he remembered the name, so now we can use it. I, and I they, like that I knew I saw Gus and remember that, but I couldn't remember Barbara. I can't remember Barbara. Barbara. <laughs> Poor Lee Remick. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they decide that they're going to tip over the rattlesnake uh, um, tank to distract everyone. And while he's doing that, uh, Bronson's going to take care of Donald Pleasance. Yeah, he rushes into the phone booth, which is inside the bar, and strangles Delchimsky. And then he puts a cyanide capsule in his mouth or whatever. And that's that. But it's like, in the meantime, Gus is running free. Doug's wife is like, don't shoot Gus. And then the cops are <laughs> shooting at the snake. And then they, they blow the head off of that snake. I don't think that was an effect. I'm pretty sure they killed Gus. I don't think Gus made it out the other end of this film. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they I killed don't know. Him. It's definitely not as fun as hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's fair. It, I mean, it's pretty good snake death, but know. I'm pretty sure that snake was killed on camera. I'm pretty sure this was beastmaster level abuse to this poor snake. So Gus, Gus, uh, you know, he suffered for telephone, but then that's, that's it. Like no, the cops don't bother to question why Donald Pleasance is now dead in the telephone booth. <laughs> like, sorry, the telephone booth. And like, and then, so then you catch this moment. Of, like it goes from that to, um, Barbara on the phone with the CIA basically saying, Hey, um, you know, here's what's up. We know what's going on. We know what's triggering them and it won't happen again. And as long as you leave and the, and the CIA is like, well, has Bronson been taken care of? She's like, yeah, he's been taken care of. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? She's like, well, he won't be a problem. It's like, Barbara, you're not making sense. And like, it's such an awkward moment where she's like, well, let's just put it this way. As long as you leave us alone, the phones will stay silent. But the moment you bother us, those phones will start ringing. And, and basically she's like saying, leave us alone or we'll have innocent people start killing people again. No big deal. And she's like, and by the way, we just called the criminal with the same information. And then the CIA guy's like, I don't know what this means. Like he is the dumbest CIA person ever. Like it is, it is a horrible sequence. Yeah. And then, uh, they live happily ever after and go and, um, it's not even that they yeah. quote the poem, right? Like they, they, they leave the telephone booth, telephone booth. And yeah. she's like, what do you want to do? And he just looks off. Bronson looks off the distance. There's like a, a lover's hotel 10 miles away. And she's like, well, there's many miles to go. And he's like, eh, 10 miles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, and then he's, uh, he's going to Charles or Bronson or whatever. And then he takes the, like the, the, <laughs> oh, the notes that he has, he rips them up, which he has a photographic memory. Why does he have notes? Whatever. And just throws them to the distance and they drive off to the Boink motel. And that's the end of the movie. Like it, it ends on like this weirdly happy note, even though there's the knowledge. And she asks him, she's like, would you have really called? all those numbers activated him. He doesn't answer her and they just drive off to the hotel. There's so many questions about his intent right there. You know, it's yep. yeah, that's it. They drove off into the sunrise and Charles Bronson made one and a half million dollars. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't do this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it, I was so bummed out halfway through this movie. It, it starts, it just starts tanking. Yeah, and I was so bummed out because I was so interested in the premise of this. And I was I was honestly on board for the first 40 minutes. Like I was loving it and it starts slowing down. It starts going places it doesn't need to. And it gets frustrating. And I was holding out for this 
great cat and mouse and finale between like the final showdown between Bronson and Pleasance. And what we get is so unsatisfying. Yeah. That it, it just it made me mad. Yeah, it's just frustrating because again, you never truly know Pleasance's uh, motivation. You never, you never really, know Pleasance. No, you don't motivation it, at all. You never really get him to actually square off, like having not that you have to have a big monologue moment, but you didn't have the conflict of ideas, like because Bronson's representing the state, Dalchimsky's against what the state's doing now. Like they should have had that conflict of politics at least, you know, like maybe, maybe they had a similar outlook, but uh, Pleasance is going about it the wrong way. You don't know. Like there was nothing there. There was no big twist. Like what if, what if you would have found out that Bronson was activated from the get go when the guys got out of the helicopter? Like you didn't like, there would have been something like there should have been like, like something a little deeper to this film, but it wasn't. And that's a bummer yeah. because the ideas in here, there's some decent ideas. I mean, it's been done better probably elsewhere, but like, I don't think this could be remade. I mean, if you remade it in the same time period, it would work, but I don't think you could do the same thing now. So I think it's a wasted opportunity then because it still kind of speaks to the far reaching terror of technology and you don't know your neighbor. And this, this could have been like a hell of a film. It just yeah. and it's not a bad movie. It's just a boring movie. Yeah, and it was such a bummer because like talk about a showdown. Think of six years earlier with Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood and Andrew Robinson uh, facing off. You know he has that school bus full of children. And he goes to the abandoned uh, factory or whatever it was. You know, and they have just it's such a amazing resolution to that film. And I was really hoping we get something that at least came close to that level. And it just doesn't. Yeah. Like nowhere close. I mean, the biggest <laughs> casualty is Gus and that's a bummer, you know, like I just, and then, like, and then yeah. Uh, um, I, I also want to talk about the look of this film. Um, we talked about the visuals and everything and just how it's kind of by the numbers and, just it, it tells the story it does what it needs to it's also like there's weird soft focus a oh, lot yeah. of the film yeah and ju it's just very bright and ugly yeah it is it's, it's you're right it's very soft there is like for a film that could use some grit and i and at the very 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 beginning whenever they, they introduced like you know the like um the russian agents trying to find out chimsky and all you heard was typing the entire time of the credits there was a you you hoped because there was that like snowy like you know it, it's it's russia and it's it's very oppressive and then nothing else happens like yeah there's no there's no distinct style in this film other than soft focus soap opera that's what it felt like all the time yeah because i was hoping for something um um oh my god what's his name uh like the michael kane movie funeral berlin um Oh, what is the first one? It's going to drive me insane right now. Um, I wish I could really help you right now, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like some of the espionage stuff from like the 60s and early 70s. Um, oh, my God. It's going to drive me crazy. I Funeral was, was going to say The Swarm, but that's not it's not a spy film. And but it has Michael Caine in it. So um, God, I'm trying to look on my wall and see what that other movie is. Um <laughs> But like something like that where it's it's pretty dry, but it's got this sort of grit and realism to it that there's something to latch on to while you're watching it. Mm -hmm. And I was really hoping I was 
going to get something like that. Uh, Ipcris file was the one I was thinking of the Harry Palmer series. Um, like I was really hoping for something like that, where it's like this espionage film based in reality, just kind of gritty, um, just gets the story told, you know, just gets down to business the whole time. I was, this thing just, it's like they tried to gloss it up too much for what the story was. Yeah. And it, it just didn't, it didn't play well. <laughs> no, like I, I almost kind of wish that the story would be like, like, uh, a limited like eight episode series on Netflix, you know, something that lets it breathe and let you build the tension a little bit more, you know, cause I feel like, cause then you could have let the activated agents be, you know, you would get, I don't know, there'd be more impact and that you could actually get more ingrained with the investigative process of this. And I'm not saying that this is a ba- like, it's not a bad 90 minute film. I just, I, for, for what it could have been, it wasn't. And I feel like there's the opportunity to expand this further and make this interesting I just, I don't know if it would warrant it. I just, it just bums me out because there's some good ideas and there's some good conflicts in here that are presented and then kind of swept underfoot with a happy ending that I don't really feel was all that earned because no, never, it wasn't yeah. deserved at no, all. It wasn't like and, yeah. everybody should have died in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Like, like just, again, that's me with the negative ending. So like <laughs> everyone should die. Um, well, like what if you would have found out that Barbara was an activated agent? Like what, what if you would have found that out? Like that would have been yeah, like, like, what if anything. she was triggered whenever he said the phrase in front of like Doug and then he realizes like crap now, like, like now I have to go against the person that I've, I've come to love in the meantime. Like, I don't know. She loved him more than he loved her in this movie, but there, yeah, there could have yeah. been, some further conflict there could have been something and there just wasn't and you're right the ending of this is this is like the, the the first half of the film is interesting and then it starts slowing down and slowing down and slowing down and then the ending is just it's 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 flat and it, it's a it's it's frustrating <laughs> and it's, it's baffling too because like we talk about the film slowing down with the pacing but we are back and forth between like so many different states and so many locations, like constantly, like the fact that this movie feels as slow as it does in the last, uh, uh, like the last half of it is just, it's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you mentioned the stuff with like the map and the stuff with the hotel the guy looking up where the manager is and everything. You just have these like couple minutes here and there that just, they don't push the story forward at all. No, like no. things are happening and a lot of things are happening in this, um, but they don't really go anywhere. And they, it just, it ends up just kind of feeling useless after a while. Whereas like, maybe if you were to shave those off and maybe cut down something with like the CIA or gave them a little bit more of a purpose at the end, yeah. things would feel a little, little bit more earned at the end. Like if that story actually paid off other than, you realize yeah, the other barber being the double agent. double agent, you know, like I, I honestly thought Putterman would end up in the field somewhere. And I figured that was the, like maybe, maybe because I was expecting it and it didn't happen, but it's like all she did was put some of the pieces together and then they might have a theory. And then she got harassed in the workplace. That was all her story was. And it was like really <laughs> off putting because it's like, I, I don't know. It's like they set her up for a much bigger role in the film and it doesn't do anything. And you could, yeah, you could almost cut all those scenes out and still have the same film without any problem yeah. whatsoever. 
Yeah, but it's, you know, it's screenwriting one on one. You set something up in the first act, you have to you have to pay it off in the third act, you know. <laughs> And it's just, it doesn't follow that. Like, it just sets things up for no reason. That's why I labeled Gus's checkoff snake in my notes. Because I was like, yeah. like you better use the snake, it better pay off. Yeah. yeah. And I like I like how you uh, compared Bronson's character to a snake as well. So it's funny that uh, the rattlesnake at the end ended up playing such a big role. And I did not. That was not in my notes. So congratulations on picking up on what I said. Because I didn't think about that until we talked about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm... I think it's fun that we watch this because we stumbled across it just because of our watching of the twilight zone. And then we wondered aloud why no one had heard of this film really. And then we watched it and then we suddenly realized when no <laughs> one had heard of this film. Um, it, it, it was funny. I was over at, uh, um, my wife's, uh, the in-laws house. Um, and some of her uncles were sitting around having some beers. And I, I mentioned, the strange highways podcast that we do. And I said that we were covering this film and a few people had actually seen it. They're like, Oh, that's the one with uh, the guy calling all the like bombs and stuff in. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Well, they just said like, they had remembered film. it. They yeah. had seen it. So yeah, I mean, um, this, it might be more well known than we know. This is definitely a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, like small TV station filler film. That you would oh, find. Oh, yeah. It, like the it, antenna yeah. stations oh, that yeah. just play like old yeah. movies all Saturday and Sunday. This like, fits right yeah. in with that. And, and it's frustrating because the, it, it has, it, it, it raises much bigger questions than it ever bothers to answer. Um, and, and, and some of, and some of those afternoon movies are just what they are. And this was perfectly okay. Um, it was frustrating watching it a second time just because I knew the brakes were going to not fall off, but get clamped on extra hard in the second half watching it again. Um, yeah. Like yeah. I said, I was holding yeah. out for that yeah. showdown at the end. Yeah. So like there was something when you, when you go through it the first time, like you're holding out, like you're yeah. like, all right, it's going to get back to it. Like we're going to get back to that yeah, first 30 just, minutes. This really, really was just wanted more out of pleasance. And I'm sure he would have brought it. Think about this. Um, when did this come out? This was, uh, I said 77. 77. Uh, yeah. Um, no, sorry. I was, I was getting this monster club confused because monster club was the same year as escape from New York, but either way, this is peak present peak pleasance right we wanted we saw him in a wig I, he walked I in took a vacation there once yeah peak pleasance um <laughs> you know you just you just visited the pumamon you know that's what happened uh so uh <laughs> you had him wander into a tv store with a wig on like a like a elton john wig and he asks for all the tvs to be turned on <laughs> and then when he finds out that his plan didn't work out he just goes running out of the appliance store and then the the clerk is like hey are we done now? It's like, I don't know. The guy just ran out of here. I think, you know, I think you just leave him alone. Like you had Pleasance wearing weird outfits and always being like the observer. And there was so much potential here, especially considering unrelated, but watching the monster club where he was constantly popping up behind things and watching everything. It made me really excited for what was going to happen. And unfortunately they didn't give him enough scenery to chew. Uh, Cause I feel like he is the actor that you put in place just to barrel through something and just be him like be pleasance. And they yeah. didn't give him that, that room. They gave Bronson plenty of room to be this dismissive bastard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's his, that, that's his wheelhouse. It's just like, you're all dubbies. I'm Bronson. And then they let him wander through a court, like a college, like, like campus piecing together 
the clues while there was the acoustic guitar playing in the background. I don't know if you noticed the music that was <laughs> yes. like very, like the music didn't match the seriousness of him trying to solve this puzzle, but it was great. You know, like I just, I don't know. They gave Bronson plenty of chances to be Bronson. And I wish they would have trimmed that back just a smidge to give Pleasance more, more, you know, times to be Pleasance. And I think this yeah. film would have been much more enjoyable. And something like this where it's just one person, against another person when it finally like when it comes down to it it's it's bronson versus pleasance in this film and like you want your antagonist to be on par with your protagonist or at least close so that there's this power struggle throughout the film and by not giving him enough time and screen time and enough like scenery to like you said uh, you really don't get a feel that Donald Pleasance is really on Bronson's level at all. Yeah. Like you feel like you feel like Bronson's character is just going to come up and shoot him in the head at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so it, 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 that's what I was worried about watching the whole thing, but I was, I was hoping for a better resolution. But, and what yeah. if, what if uh, Pleasant's nah. character had a much shorter name and he succeeded with like a four letter last name and it was just the four agents activated and he felt satisfied and then that was it. Like he never called it anybody yeah, else. He just, he just yeah. goes back to Russia and uh, <laughs> hangs out with his no, mom. But, that's just worried yeah. about him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that's what I mean. Like, what was his end game? Why? <laughs> like there's, there's just so much. Yeah. Like why even do it? Because like, if you saw that all of the targets really would cause no problems because they were all like 22 years, like out of date, like, like why even do it at that point? Yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's so many questions that the more you start picking this film apart, um, the I, more it kind of falls apart. I feel like stateside terrorism was a cartoon at that point And it stayed that way until nine 11, honestly. So I feel yes, like you could get yeah. away with these outlandish plots because you're like, Oh, well that's just a terror. Like it, it was a joke. You know, it's like, this will never, these are James Bond plots. And that idea made just as much sense as anything else, you know, and I it just maybe maybe I expected more, but there was there was better films made before this that had better motivations. And it makes me wonder, like, I'm sure maybe the book follows the same plot, but because you're in the head of Bronson, maybe it, it, it feels more tense and grounded because you're trying to figure out like the next move. While here it's like, you know, it, it seems random until he looks at a piece of paper and he's like, oh, well, that's his name because the letter A, the first one didn't succeed. So he went on to Akron, Ohio, and that one <laughs> succeeded, which I loved how they did. You notice how two, one of the agents was in Canton and one was in Akron. I'm like, what? Why did they place those agents so close to each other? Like, yeah. like, was the target the Football Hall of Fame? Do we know this? I don't know. <laughs> like, Oh, man. Yeah. Um. I'm going to make a recommendation uh, for a better film from this year uh, that involves a type of domestic terrorism uh, called Roller Coaster. Have you ever seen this from we've 1977? We've talked about this on the show before, I think. Yeah. Have we? Probably. I think so. uh, yeah, check it out. It's a guy who basically plants a bomb at the top of a or at the bottom of a loop on a roller coaster and is holding it ransom. And they're trying to, like, catch this guy before the certain time when this roller coaster takes its first launch, like it's a brand new roller coaster and they're going to finally take people out on the first one and they're trying to catch him before they finally do it. And it, it is surprisingly 
uh, stressful. And uh, it, it's way better than it should be. And I feel like that rivals um, the Dirty Harry showdown, like what I wanted from this. Hmm. Um, so I, I recommend it. It doesn't have Bronson. Um, it does have Henry Fonda and George Seagal in it, though. So that's kind of interesting. And somebody else. There's a young Helen Hunt. Um, Was she ever young, really? Like, dude, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody else in their first role, too, and I can't remember who it was now. It's going to drive me insane. Was it Again, Paul Reiser? That would be amazing. If it was Steve, Paul- Steve Gutenberg. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Like, I, we've talked about this before, but now that you said that, that snaps together better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's his uh, first. Uh, he was in a TV movie called Something for Joey, and then Roller Coaster was his first, like, actual film he was in. Huh. So, <laughs> it. I, I think you blink and you miss him, but it's always a fun fact about that one. Well, but I'm going to recommend like check out telephone. Like it's, it's kind of worth it. Like it, it's fun. If you're a Bronson completionist, like you definitely should check it out. And like I said, it's worth it for hearing Pleasance read the end of that poem yeah. over the phone. Cause like, it's creepy the first couple times and like, um, but Honestly, like I, I, I don't know. I think you could skip it. <laughs> I, I, I paid, I paid four dollars to watch this on YouTube because I found it through other means, and it was, it was dubbed in another language, and I watched yeah. it for like five minutes, and I realized I'm like, well, these guys are speaking Russian. Maybe they just left it unsubtitled for a reason. And then I got later on, I'm like, well, no, this is all in a different language. So I had to go and find another way. It's, it's on YouTube yeah. for four bucks. It's, and it's also on Amazon for like two ninety nine. Yeah, as I was say, well, it so. might, it might be two dollars too much, but whatever, you know. I, I've spent I've spent less on worse. I'll say that. But my recommendation, and I just I didn't realize this actually came out the year before, is a book by Dean Koontz called Night Chills, which um, oh actually, nice yeah yeah actually yeah this came out seventy six. Uh, have you read the book or no? I don't know if you're familiar with it. Because um, um, a lot of Dean Koontz's titles all sound the same. Let's just be yeah, honest. That's yeah, that's why I was like, I think I did. But now that I'm looking it the, up, I'm this, like, I don't I, think I've read that it one. Deals, <laughs> it deals with a small uh, town in New England that they ended up putting a drug in the water that made them susceptible to um, subliminal advertising, like like a subconscious messaging. And some, and it was like a government experiment and someone knew how to basically trigger them to do what he wanted. So he would like either be in the room with them or call them on the phone and say, I need you to do this right now. And they would just shut down and do exactly as he says. So it, it's very much in the same like time frame. And it actually dealt with some tech at the time that was actually possible. Like the idea of being able to ring a landline telephone in a home without actually ringing the phone, but it would pick up without people hearing it. And you could listen to the conversations going on. If it's within earshot of the phone, that's yeah. all legitimate tech. And that was possible at the time. And Coons included in his story. And it's actually a pretty good book, but it came out the year before this. So it feels very, very similar, not the same, same plot, but the idea that people are being forced to do things outside their control. Yeah. Oh, it sounds interesting. Yeah, that's that's definitely not the one that I read. Uh, you're right; all of his titles are <laughs> like just... you look at you look at early D. Coots, It's like oh, the bad place, night chills, whispers, phantoms. It's like what I don't know what these book cold fire like. What are, what are all these names are all the same? <laughs> you know, like they are all, all the same. So yeah. strange highways. <laughs> What? <laughs> what? What? Yeah, you're right. So there we go. That that's my second Dean Koontz recommendation of the show. And I don't really like him all that much, but there's stuff I like about him and enough to name the show after this. So that's my recommendation. Telephone. 
I'm glad we got it out of our system. Um, I feel like we have strayed really, really far away from the Twilight Zone. So I'm glad. Uh, just maybe we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But let's just get telephone all the way. Kevin, how can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at fa- and Facebook at Strange Highways Podcast. Join the conversation on there. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Telephon. Um, yeah, send give us, us Robert give us a Frost ring. poems. Yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you can email us, leave us voicemails on there. Let us know what you think of our show. Uh, you can leave us voicemails if you want us to play it on the show. Just let us know. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Satchel Podcast, Podbeam, pretty much anywhere that you can get podcasts. We are there. And it would especially help us if on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you want to call it, if you would rate and review us on there, um, it would help the show out a bit. So yeah, absolutely. So that'd be that'd be great. So uh, I I think our next episode, I think we talked about this already. We're we're jumping right back in the Twilight Zone. I feel like we did amazing yeah, we stories. Need to. Yeah. We got to reel this back in. Yeah, amazing <laughs> stories to the Monster Club to Telephone. And let's just go back to Twilight Zone. Let's just do that. Well, oh, sorry, we, we had Twilight we forgot Zone about, in the middle. We forgot about I forgot about Rod Serling's Lost Classics, huh? I wonder why that happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we <laughs> we've strayed far. We we have lost we have lost the beam. Let's go back to straight. Let's go back to Twilight Zone. So season three, episode one. It's called two. Um, I don't have any Serlingness to go with that because I don't think there was because it was the premiere. It has Mr. Charles Bronson in it, and um, uh, what's her name from Bewitched? She's in uh, Elizabeth well. Montgomery. There you go. Uh, nose wiggle and all. So I have not seen this episode. Um, I'm looking forward to it, especially now that we've gotten Maximum Bronson. Uh, let's go back a little earlier. So that's going to be our next yeah. thing is actually Twilight Zone again. Yeah, I, I have seen this episode. Uh, I remember Elizabeth Montgomery in the uh, the, the military uniform, if I'm not mistaken, if this is this one. So it's always an image that's been stuck in my mind from the series. Yeah, and I believe we'll have a special guest with us. Um, we just got to confirm because they called their shot when we talked about this previously. So we'll make that we'll, we'll make sure that happens, and it will be a good time getting back to the Twilight Zone. I feel like it's been too long, and, and I, I, am, I am thirsty for the Twilight Zone. I'm thirsty for a 25 minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I said before we started recording that this wouldn't go almost like an hour and a half, but I guess I was wrong because I talk a lot. Yeah, we had a lot to say about telephone, um, but yeah, uh, keep an eye on the Facebook. We'll make the announcement uh, whether or not our special guest will be on next week. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to do it for us this week. Um, be safe. Uh, I'd say don't answer the telephone, but no one does anymore anyway. Just text us, you know, like don't call us, just text us. Um, and yeah, th- that way we won't get triggered by accident. Well, I mean, it, there, there wasn't text messaging back then. So maybe they could just text that part of the poem and it would trigger. Yeah. What is this attachment? Oh no. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys. resident's not going to like that. You're not to have any more contact with a resident or any other of our people. That's an order. If you do exactly as I say, we'll get along fine.
Yes, sir. If you make an effort to contact the resident or anybody else, I'll kill you. You have a terrific way with women, Greg. 